Good morning, everybody. This is going to be a nice, cozy session. Uh, and um, if, if you want to ask a question at any point in time, don't hesitate to, uh, to interrupt, or you can ask me questions at the end. That's okay. Whatever you would like to do. But uh, before I start, you know, the focus of this conversation is about um, you know, uh, aerial inventory robots from the perspective of um, automating the inventory reconciliation process using an, an aerial robot. But you know, with our focus being on uh, an industrial grade solution, and we'll kind of go into that uh, in a little bit more detail. But the bottom line is, is that we're not necessarily using a toy to do this. We are using a purpose-built robot to do this, something that we uh, build ourselves, okay? But if you do want to win a toy, you can come and uh, come to our booth and uh, enter your name, and you know you might get to win one of these. Okay, so um, I'd recommend you do that if you have time, uh, either today or tomorrow. So, so let me go into uh, to this, and I forgot my clicker. I left it over there somewhere. Thank you so very much. Thank you. So first things first, um, uh, we as a company, Pink as a company, what we focus on, what our core competence is, is uh, automating the digitization of inventory, okay? Now, why, why is that important? Well, if you look at the supply chain today, 90% of the time, inventory is actually stationary on your network, whether or not it's in distribution or in the store. It's only 10% of the time that it's in, in motion. And um, what, we have, what we have found, if I can go back, I don't know why it went ahead. Why is it going ahead? I don't know. But what, what we have found is inventory accuracy is a, is a big problem. And you can't have velocity in terms of uh, velocity to the customer without having upstream accuracy. And accuracy in general, is a problem in the network, and it's a problem in the context of distribution, okay? So, I don't know why these slides are auto advancing, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of deal with it. So the bottom line here is, the key takeaway here is, you can't have velocity without upstream accuracy, okay? So, we're talking about these kind of environments, and this is kind of the environment that we focus on as a company, big industrial distribution. That's what we do. We do that in the context of a yard, and we do that inside. Now, there are a lot of challenges associated with this, because this, as you can imagine, is a very manual, repetitive task carried out by humans. And we'll go into that in a little bit. Uh, in a little bit. But there are also significant other headwinds that, uh, that we're dealing with here, okay? So I've already talked about consumer demands. You can't have the velocity and fulfill the obligation to the customer without having upstream accuracy. That's a big one. Labor shortage is, a, is another one. So when we're talking about these robots, we're not necessarily talking about uh, replacing people. We're talking about augmenting people and having a tool to automate a specific manual process. Warehouse capacity has been hovering around you know, four to five percent in terms of uh, available space in warehousing. We obviously are dealing with tariffs, and we're not, I didn't even put the virus on here because that's a big, that's a big impact right now. Okay, but everybody is trying to uh, 
automate as much as possible in terms of managing uh, inventory in general. So how is it done today? Now this is actually a pretty sophisticated customer because they have hand scanners and they're going around. Um, sometimes I see customers not even do any checking within their facility or sometimes they have binoculars in terms of how they're tra tracking and checking inventory in those facilities, okay? So that's, that's one customer. In fact, there's some customers that don't even check inventory. We are going into, we're going into environments where um, that they, they, they really don't even check inventory and their inventory accuracy is 60%, okay? Now we typically see inventory accuracy range from about 89 to about 99% stated inventory accuracy because once again, it's a human drive number uh, in these facilities and because it's carried out by humans, uh, it may lack some integrity in terms of uh, uh, the validity and accuracy of that data and it's linked to compensation a lot of times when you talk, to, talk about inventory accuracy uh, in warehouses. But anyway, so that's, that's uh, one type of environment. Another environment, this is another uh, customer. They've got a very expensive piece of equipment and they're going up. It's a very slow process in terms of going up, looking at inventory. And in this particular example, this person wasn't necessarily using a hand scanner, but a piece of paper writing notes down and when they're finishing their task, they're gonna go back to the computer and hopefully they can transpose that information into the computer accurately. Um, and, and, and obviously that's delayed information. So you may do that at the end of the day or whatever, right? So it's not instant. It's not instant information and it's a manual error prone task to be able to collect that information. So that's, this, is, this is the sophistication uh, of the environment that we're talking about. This particular environment was an actual sophisticated customer compared to most that we see. So one of the things that we did as a company uh, and what our, core, what our core IP is and how we could leverage it to this particular uh, use case is if you have sensors and you put it on a mobile vehicle, that mobile vehicle could be a robot and look at stationary inventory and you have the ability to detect and identify and localize where that inventory is in space, and putting that on a, on a, uh, on a robot that could move in three dimensions, that would actually be quite an interesting uh, use for that type of technology. So that's what we're talking about. And the unfortunate thing is to fly a robot in here in this type of environment in an autonomous way um, requires a lot of different sensors a fusion of many different sensors to make that work. Because number one, uh, I, I don't know how many times we talk to companies and say, look, we've tried uh, drones in the warehouse and you know, every time we fly it, we crash it. Uh, because if that's the expectation around trying to do this with a, uh, with a drone, that is not the expectation because it all, always ends in fears, okay? So it, it's, the number one thing that it needs to be is autonomous, fully autonomous, and make sure that it's as, as easy as possible to get this thing uh, in the air and doing uh, meaningful work, doing it predictably, reliably, uh, in, uh, in, a, in an expeditious way. So it has to be fully autonomous, number one. Also has to have artificial intelligence in terms of um, 
training this, this robot to understand what it's looking at. Now, today, if you look at the, the, this technology, it's, it's somewhat limited to looking at the surface in front of it, okay? So looking at the surface and looking at uh, the inventory on the surface. But where this is all going is, um, if, just like a human, if you're a human walking down an aisle and you can perceive depth, structure, occupancy, counts, color, these are all things that uh, the robot could do, okay? Is it, can it do it today? No. But could it do it in the future? Yes. Uh, and it's just, a, a, the, the, uh, it's just going to require more compute and more software to enable that. Also has to be driven from the cloud. It has to have that connectivity to the cloud to, to make this all come together. Typically from an integration perspective, but also from a command and control to, to manage, to manage, this, manage this, this network of drones to make sure that it is doing its job effectively in the environment. Now, computer vision or any visual sensors is the only way that really you could uh, get a robot to fly in, in this environment. So not only does it have more eyes than us as humans, uh, but it's using all of these sensors, whether or not it's LiDAR or uh, regular cameras or 3D uh, stereo vision cameras, um, to be able to fuse this all together and to actually fly, fly autonomously, it's, it's always gonna be using uh, some uh, visions, vis uh, visual sensor to be able to do that. Now, RFID is interesting too. Depending on your, uh, your inventory type, you could introduce RFID into these, into these environments, and that has its benefits too. Um, so putting an RFID antenna on a, a robot to look at inventory is useful to certain customers depending on, as I say, the category of inventory. Okay, so what's the experience? So I'm just gonna show you what the experience is, okay? Once again, I'm swapping the typical controller that you would see with a drone with a, a, a cloud-based interface. It's a browser-based interface that you can put on a phone or you could put on, in this case, a tablet. And basically, that's all you need to know is to actually, you know, it should be as simple as saying, I want to scan these bin locations and I want to do it autonomously. And I just want to press a button to start it. And this is what, this is what the experience needs to be. So now this, this particular uh, warehouse is a, is a big uh, 3PL warehouse. And as you can see, what this, this robot is actually doing is it's going in a sawtooth pattern in that environment. Now, there are, there are times when you can do sawtooth or side to side, depends on what you're, what you're trying to do, it depends on the environment. But for this particular, this particular environment, it's going up and down in a sawtooth pattern, right? So, now this particular robot is a pretty uh, large robot. Okay, so why is it a large robot? Because it's got a lot of compute on this, okay? because it's doing everything it needs to do actually on the robot itself. So it's got three computers. One is an auto, autopilot that says, how do I, with, with the instructions, how do I um, spin the propellers? So that's the autopilot. It's got a, an, a, an NVIDIA GPU that's, that's used for uh, navigation. So 
It's using all these sensors to understand where it is and, and how it's moving in space. And it's got a, a very powerful Intel processor that's actually processing the inventory that it's seeing in real time. Okay, so everything is actually computed on the edge on this particular device. And when it's, and when it's complete doing its scan, and, and as, actually this is the, the drone's eye view of actually what it sees. So let me just walk through this a minute quickly. As this is moving through uh, uh, space, it's looking at the scene in front of it, and it's, it's not actually a video camera that's taking these snaps. It's actually a, a, a very high definition camera. And as you can see, it's ignoring pretty much every label on that except a specific label that it's putting a blue box around and it's extracting from that scene. And then there's some post-processing actually on the robot, actually looking at that, at, that, uh, at that label and extracting whatever information you want from that label. Right, so whether or not it's a barcode, whether or not it's alphanumeric characters or, or something else. And as you can see, the orientation of that label could be you know, sideways, upside down, doesn't really matter. You know, it would process all that. So that's what it's doing in real time on, on the robot. It's not streaming this to a server off. It's not capturing it for a, a retrieval off, off the, off the uh, device itself. Everything is done on, on this particular robot. So when it's process, processing all this real time, what it then does, it says, okay, how, how, am I, how am I synchronized to what's going on in your warehouse? So it's a very simple integration. Typically, a CSV file is all you really need to make sure that you know, you've got some synchro synchronized uh, uh, integration between this and, and the uh, WMS. And really what we focus on, and for the most part, is highlighting the differences between your WMS. And in that particular scenario, what we would do is we would make efficient use of your network and only upload a smaller sized version, you know, a condensed version of the image, images associated with the exception in that environment. So first of all, we would show you what that exception would be. So I can click on that exception and then it would show me a picture of that ex of exception within that, uh, with that environment, okay? So at, at my desk, I could say, hey, you know what? I don't know what this box is doing here. Then I could send somebody out to, to do something to handle this exception. I could handle my exception in the warehouse management system, et cetera, et cetera, okay? So g guiding, guiding the, 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 the worker to the exception uh, and only focus on the exceptions and not necessarily hand touch everything in your warehouse. Let the robot do all that. So, this is a very quick presentation. Um, so that's pretty much what I wanted to cover, but I am definitely, certainly open to have uh, any questions that the audience may have. Yes, sir. You have a lot of what, sorry? Yes. So let's, let's yes, let's talk about that. And Raphael, maybe you can walk around with the, yeah, okay. So the question was, the question is, how does this handle a floor-loaded type situation? Well, 
okay. You can't see on this picture because one, one question, one question that you need to have is how do I anchor this uh, robot in space, okay? You have to, if, if anybody knows anything about flying in 3D, you need to know what zero, zero, zero is, X, Y, and Z, okay, before you start. And the way that that happens is uh, on specific locations on the uprights, you would put an April tag. An April tag is like a two-dimensional barcode, kind of like on your badge. And you put that, and it says, this specific location, you know, computer, this is, this is uh, you know, position zero, 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 right? This is where you're gonna start. And at a specific launch point, the, the robot would see that and say, I know exactly where I am. That's, that's the start point for this mission that I need to take. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that all this is because in a floor-loaded situation, we don't have any uprights. And uh, today, we don't do floor-loaded inventory because you need to have a reference point. Now, that reference point could be on the ground. It could be from a, you know, a label elevated in the air, or it could be something in, in the, on the roof. But that's not something that um, that's not something that we've done yet. The floor, the floor inventory uh, situation is an interesting, uh, an interesting use case. And there's a lot of things that we can uh, you can actually do with that, uh, with um, with volumetrics and you know looking at the volume of how you stack that. Because some companies do so high, so deep uh, type of inventory. But today, this type of technology is not really there for uh, for floor inventory just yet. Yes, sir. It's, an, it's, it's another very good question. Um, so there's two different answers to this. So going back to what I was saying earlier, we as people walking down an aisle can perceive depth, right? So we know, we can see 2D, 3D, okay? So this technology today is getting to there, but it's the, on, the only thing that it can do today is, is look at occupancy, okay? So its depth is, is really looking at one deep, but I can, I can tell you that it is empty or it's 50% complete, 80% complete, just by looking at the structure of what I'm looking at in front of me, but I'm not necessarily perceiving the whole depth of two or three deep. So today, it's not there for vision, it's not there for two or three deep. Some workarounds on that, depending on your inventory, is using RFID tags. So that's an interesting workaround that people are exploring. But today, from a vision perspective, not 2 or 3D. But it will be coming. Yeah, it will be coming. But not today. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, so, so, um, so the cloud application looks at the health of the, of the robot. So the robot itself knows when it's running out of battery and it will safely land if it's, if it's dangerously low. So we'll do that. Um, but we also, as when, we initialize, when, when the robot is initialized, it, it does all these system checks to make sure that it's, that it's healthy, everything is operating before it, it uh, takes off. So, what's that? It's reported what? Oh yes, 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 yeah. We check, we check all that. So the, so um, the typical. So in terms of like uh, MTBF, you know, uh, potential failures for this type of thing. The, the, 
the, the thing that really, um, uh, I would say, degrades the most are batteries. When you, when you charge and discharge a battery, um, the, the, those are the things that you can tell that the memory life of that battery is degrading and you know, you're only getting, the, I don't know, 50% life out of it in terms of its longevity of flight, so you might need to replace that battery. And then the other, the other area that we focus on is motors, okay? So motors is obviously another particular failure uh, point that we want to understand what the cycle time on those motors are and be a little bit more proactive on that type of uh, hardware. Yes, sir. That's a good, very good question. What's the flight time per battery charge? So this particular unit, this one here. Now, if you if you know what what these drones are all about. That's actually a DJI frame, okay? Personally today, that that is version one for what we, we're just, we're just cycling through, our company's just cycling through and actually, we, we wanna have a vertically integrated industrial grade solution because DJI product is not necessarily the best. I can tell you that the motors on that are not necessarily the best, okay? So we wanna control everything associated with that. We are not letting a third party control the hardware quality or the nav navigation platform or the autopilot uh, software, okay? We're, we're controlling everything associated with that. So the, the weakness of this, the strength is also a weakness because the strength of this platform is that it's got a smart battery, okay? So the smart battery will show you how much life, you know, it has the barcode, you know, it has a, you know, LEDs on the back, it's a simple, you know, slot in, slot out, you know, type battery. Um, but the weakness of it is the longevity of flight. The payload on this uh, for the sensors that we need to put on this and all the compute is about over a kilogram, okay? Now, everything is getting faster, better, cheaper. And, and, and in these type of devices, you are also, it's physics, right? You wanna get it as light as possible uh, to, to have that longevity of flight. Now the problem with this one today is about 15 to 20 minutes, no more than that, okay? Depending on what you're trying to do. And yes, yes, so today, it's um, just as costly to try to do auto charge. So, th so the, the, the deal with batteries is a couple things. I'm flying for, for 15 minutes, then I have to charge for 45 minutes, okay? So, and if I want to do auto charge, it would cost me another 20, 30 grand to have my auto charge platform. That's not, that's not to say that we wouldn't do it. We, if the customer wants to do it, we can do it. Um, but the feedback that we've got is we wanna, we wanna have it in continued operation and we want it to be flying, we want it to be flying as long as possible, okay? So uh, we're already flying the, the, the replacement to this right now, we just haven't released it. So we're flying it, it's actually the same size. It's, it's, it's the, a, a, a frame that we've built ourselves it's m more carbon fiber than, than it's on this particular device. And the battery is actually four times bigger than the battery on this. Now today, we're conservatively saying that that's flying for more than half an hour, okay? And it's, this, and it's one of these, you know, you slide it in, slide it out type thing. Yeah, this one today is about 15 minutes. Uh, the new one is about 30 minutes. We also, um, we've also been flying hydrogen. Uh, so hydrogen fuel cells is interesting. We've been doing that for a couple of years. But the problem with hydrogen 
is uh, it's, it's, it doesn't pencil out from an ROI perspective because it's still about $20, $30 to actually fill a can, you know, a can for a hydrogen to, for this to fly. But we've been flying it, uh, you know, in, in all kinds of environments, but battery is still uh, a, a, a more user-friendly type power source today. Any other questions? No? Any questions back here? No? Yeah. Safety? Yeah, if you could talk a bit about safety and how do you see operation change uh, when your drone fly, and if your drones have any kind of sensors to avoid collisions yeah. with workers. And actually, if you want to see that, you can just drop by our booth and we can show you the, the, the safety aspect. Um, so so safety, is, safety is important, right? Because a, a big part of this is you want to take, you want to take people out of that environment and, uh, and make it more a safe environment. But practically today, this technology is not ready to be in prime time to coexist with you know, the first shift operations. You would it wouldn't coexist with, with forklift trucks or people walking around that aisle when you're flying. I would not recommend it today. Now, in the next couple of years, it's very possible, okay? But there is no company on the planet. I would say, and I've got to give, I've got to give um, some uh, props to them, Skydio has probably got the best sense and avoid technology, but I've crashed Skydios I don't know how many times, okay? It's so easy. It's so easy to, to take one of those things out of the air. So these devices today are, don't necessarily react fast enough to be able to, to, to handle things in a, safe, in, a, in a safe way. But we can show you it. it if you walk up to the, to the robot, it will, it, will, it will take evasive action. And the one that we have here will just say, I'm going to land, OK? I'm just going to go to the floor. So that, once again, it's using you know, a combination of sensors to be able to detect that. Typically, it's visual and uh, ultrasound type sensors to be able to detect an object that's coming at, at the robot and then need to take evasive action. But it's still not good enough. It's still not good enough to, uh, to be in prime time operations. It's not, I would never recommend this to be flying around uh, forklift trucks today. You typically want to have it in a, in, you still want to kind of have it cordoned off or doing it late in the day or a third shift or whatever. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. If you have any other questions after, feel free to come up and uh, ask me. But thank you for coming and taking the time to listen to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh yes. So we we are uh, we are in uh, booth eighty two eighty one. If you want to come and put your name in the hat for this, and if you want a hat, come and get a hat. And uh, look forward to seeing you uh, during the rest of the show. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. <laughs>